Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Pastor Ronnie, and I'm excited about what is happening now. We just finished up the series, Storms of Life, and we're into a new series. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about this topic, From Good to Great, Taking Any Relationship to the Next Level. If you have a pulse, you're in a relationship. It may not be the one that you want to be in, um, but every one of us are in relationships. It, it's relationships with our family. It's relationships with our coworkers. It's relationships with the people that we encounter. If you're on social media, you're in a lot of relationships. And so what I expect to do over the next few weeks is to show you how that you can take any one of those relationships to the next level. How you can take all of those relationships to the next level. And I'm going to do this through uh, scripture. I'm going to show you how God's word has laid this out 2,000 years ago. It was established. And if we live out those principles, if we take those actions, you'll find out that the relationships that you're in uh, one or all can improve based on uh, our actions. So, without any further ado, let me talk to you about from good to great. You know, this topic of from good to great um, is a great thing for us as people. And here's why. There's this thing called the human phenomena. And what that means is, you know, with um, science and engineering, they know uh, put in X amount of data, you're going to get this result. The problem with humans is we can put the same data into three different humans and we get three different results. Sometimes we can put the exact same data into one person and that one person can interpret that five different ways. So I want to share with you how that, you know, we don't have to be um, relying on how we interpret that data, and we get to decide how to do that in a, a way that's profitable. And I want to do this through a, a verse of Scripture. It's Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15 says these words, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, you know, as we look at those uh, words, I, I just want to break that verse down for you. And then the first words is let. And what this is referring to is that you have to surrender. You have to, um, you have to give up whatever you're holding on to. You know, anxiety is something that is running rampant through our country uh, because of the, the COVID-19 situation. But even if we didn't have COVID-19, we would still find a lot of people who struggle with anxiety. And so Colossians 3.15 tells us to let, to surrender those anxious thoughts. And what happens when we surrender? Well, let the peace of Christ. Now, I want you to understand about the peace of the Christ. The peace of Christ is not based on your external circumstance. It's not based on whether you have a job, whether you have the dream job, or whether you have no job. 
It's not based on what's in your bank account. It's not based on how your relationship with your significant other is going right now. It's not based on any of those external things. The peace of Christ is all based on us internally in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, the next part of that verse says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Right now, something's ruling your heart. You know, a few weeks ago, I shared with you that um, we are listening to either the advocate, our advocate, or we're listening to the accuser. And a lot of times, we don't recognize it as the advocate or as the accuser, and we just think it's us talking to ourselves. Well, that's what the Bible's talking about when it says rule in your heart. It's talking about that conversation that you have over and over. Matter of fact, as you go through the New Testament and you see the word heart, it's really referring to your mind, what you think about. And so Colossians 3.15 tells us, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. I think that word rule really stands out is that that needs to be the overwhelming thought process that you have. Here's the reality. All of us, if you're watching this today, if you're listening to this, you have a master's degree in negativity. I mean, you might as well um, print up the diploma, frame it, and put it on your wall, and everyone that comes in, they get to see that you've got a master's degree in negativity. We're all good. We are brilliant when it comes to finding the uh, the cloud within the silver lining. It's easy for us. Why? Master's degree in negativity. But here's the reality. When you focus on negative emotions, you create a fire, and a fire creates damage. And even if you can get away from those negative emotions, the damage that uh, is done by that fire, it's there. A good example of this is a lot of people focus on the three W's. The three W's are this, what went wrong? I mean, you're gifted at it. You, you, you look at uh, the way that uh, uh, in a relationship, uh, whether it's your husband or your wife or it's one of your children, and you think about all the things that you did that were wrong. Or you think about all the things that they did that was wrong. You know, it's easy for us to stand back and objectively look at other people in the relationships that we have and see what they're doing that's, that's not healthy. A lot of times... We miss what we're doing. Well, you know, that pendulum swings the other way, and, and we forgive, and we look beyond what everyone else is, and we find out, and we focus on all of the things that we're doing, and then we find out how that we're doing it in the wrong manner. You know, neither one of those are healthy. And so what I want to do is show you from Scripture, from Colossians 3.15. What's the second part of that verse? It says, and be thankful. Since 2000, there has been uh, many uh, research articles. There's been a lot of uh, scientific studies that have researched the, the benefit that gratitude gives us. Gives us physically, gives us uh, emotionally, gives us spiritually. But you know, it goes way, way beyond two, 2000. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, in Germany during uh, World War II. You know, he said this, it's only with gratitude that life becomes rich. You know, if you don't realize, if you can't be thankful for what you have in your possession, you'll never feel that richness of gratitude. Martin Luther, decades before that, said this, the basic Christian attitude is gratitude. 
every Christian should be defined by their ability to be thankful. Jonathan Edwards, his uh, statement on this was that gratitude towards God was a tr- the true sign of religion. What he was saying was what James tells us, and that is faith without works is dead. If you can say you believe in Jesus, you can go to church, you can watch all of these online messages, you could watch 20 preachers this week. But if your heart isn't experiencing gratitude, if you're not doing what Colossians 3.15 says, and be thankful, you might, you just might recognize what James 3 says when it says that that man's religion is vain. You know, I don't want you to have a vain religion. Christ doesn't want you to have a vain religion. And I think that um, my experience has taught me that a lot of times in the church, in the Christian community, Christ's followers confuse gratitude with indebtedness. You see, when you have gratitude, you're going to experience optimism. There's hope. There's something you're looking forward to. On the other hand, if you're, if you're looking at it differently as indebtedness, that you owe something, now, instead of optimism, you're experiencing a feeling of obligation. Well, those are two different emotions, but they have tectonic different ways that they'll impact your life. If you experience gratitude and optimism, what you will end up doing is seeking out and drawing closer to whoever that relationship is with. If it's with Jesus, if you are grateful for what God is doing in your life, you will draw closer to God if you have a heart of gratitude. If it's your husband or your wife, you will draw closer to them when you're experiencing gratitude for what they're doing in your life. On the other hand, if you have a feeling of indebtedness, if this is to God, if this is to a family member, if this is to uh, somebody that, that got you a job, if you feel obligated, the evidence is there that you will avoid that relationship. That's not what God wants. Matter of fact, Jesus shared a parable in Matthew chapter um, 18 in verses 21 through 25. Now, I'm not going to read all those verses. I would encourage you to, uh, after this message, to just read through that and then maybe uh, run a checklist against how you are in your relationships. But the premise of this parable was this. There was a king, and he decided he was going to settle all debts. And so he called in um, one man who owed him, I think the way the Bible said it, was 10,000 bags of gold. That's a lot. Something he could probably never, ever repay. And the king forgave him of all that. So the man walked out happy. You know, see, he had a a sense of indebtedness to the king, an obligation to the king. And if the king wouldn't have called him in, he would have avoided ever going and seeing the king because he knew he couldn't repay that. And when when he left, he realized there was a guy who owed him like one bag of gold and he called him and demanded his bag of gold and instead of responding in a way that he had been treated by the king he threw this guy into prison well his friend the this man's friends and family members went to the king and told them what happened because they knew about the ten thousand bag of gold forgiveness and when the king heard this he was upset And he called this guy back in and says, I can't believe that you did this after I forgave you of this. You're going to pay for everything. And then he went to throw him into prison. And the guy's pleading, I will pay back everything. Just give me a chance. 
things now. And something profound that Jesus says here in verse 35, or verse 34 and 35. It says, in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how you're going to end up paying that kind of a debt from jail. Verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, when you look at it as a matter of indebtedness and obligation, it's easy for you when you experience forgiveness to not give that to other people. On the other hand, when you experience this Christian value of gratitude, of being thankful, as Colossians 3.15 says it, that optimism of what you deserved and what you didn't get allows you to draw closer to that person. It allows you to take that same forgiveness that you received and give that out. You know, some of the finest Christians that I've ever came across are those who recognize how much they've been forgiven. I'll just say this, that some of the worst Christians I've ever encountered are those Christians who don't realize what Jesus did for them. They don't realize how incredible God's forgiveness has been over them. Sometimes they convince themselves that they deserved it. And we know that Scripture doesn't support that. Well, if we're going to be thankful, why is it? Why does the Bible tell us this? The, the scientific studies tell us this, that gratitude or being thankful promotes optimism. And maybe you should think of it this way. Optimism or gratitude is a muscle. If you wanted to, uh, to, to get bigger optimism muscles or to get bigger gratitude, thankful muscles, you, know, you would go to the, the gym and you would work out. And you do certain exercises that spoke directly or, or physically helped you. For, for example, if you went to the gym and uh, you wanted to grow your pectoralis majors, there's an exercise called the bench press. All right? This is how most guys judge you know, how much of a man they are. It's what can you bench? Well, if you would go to the gym twice a week, and every time you went to the gym, you would do three sets. And each successive time you went, you would just add a half pound. And you did this for a year. Let's just say that the first day you went in, all you could bench was 100 pounds. Now, a lot of guys that just heard that, they're laughing. 100 pounds? I'm going to do 100 pounds with my pinky. But you continue. You go back week after week, workout after workout. And a year later, you bench press 300 pounds. Science tells us that it would be impossible to go from benching 100, if that was your absolute max, to 300 without growing these muscles. And the same thing is true as for gratitude and optimism. For you to develop this, you've got to do exercises, and you've got to do exercises that help you grow that muscle. Because when that muscle grows, you will be more grateful. You will learn to be thankful sometimes when it's hard. You will learn to be optimistic. There was a, a, a group in New York City, and this goes, I think this is about 30 years ago. But this group in New York City, what they did was uh, they put an ad out in the paper. And the ad said, uh, we're looking for 50 people who uh, believe that they're 
um, the most unlucky people in the world. And so, and they, they were paying $100 to anybody who would come and just tell us that you're the, the most uh, unlucky person in the world. Three weeks later, they ran the same ad, only they said, we're looking for 50 people who said that they think that they're the most lucky people in the world. And when the unlucky people in the world came in and um, they read a story to them. And the story was about them. And they said, look, you just went to the um, bank. And you're, you go to the uh, teller outside the ATM and you walk up to it and it, it tells you that it's out of order. So you walk inside the bank, and there's a long line. You wait 25, 35, 40 minutes, and finally you get up to the teller. And just as you're there at the teller, and just as you're going to get your cash, you hear in the bank, hands up, everybody, and there's a robber. And this robber comes in with a gun, and he goes to every teller, and he says, give me all the money in your drawer. So the first teller does that. Third, second teller does that. Third teller does that. Gets to the fourth teller. That's your teller. And your teller says, no, I'm not giving you my money. And he closes the drawer and locks it. The bank robber um, points the gun towards the teller, uh, tries to shoot him, and instead grazes you in the shoulder. And so they tell that story, and they ask the um, unlucky people, how do you interpret that? And the unlucky people said, "Um, that's what I'm talking about, you know, Only I would go to the ATM that's open 24-7, 365, and it's out of order. Only I would go into the bank, and there's a long line, and I've got to wait 40 minutes to get my money. Only I would pick the teller that's going to be the hero, and then only I, when the, the robber tries to shoot the teller, hits me. They tell that same story to the people who believe that they're the luckiest people. Same ATM, same long line, same teller, same bank robber, same gun, same shot, same hit. When they asked the lucky people, how do you interpret this? This is what their response was. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, how, who, who, who does this happen to? When you go to the teller, uh, the ATM is out of order. You go inside, and, and what's the chances that it's my teller that says, no, I'm not going to pay. And then when the guy tries to shoot the teller, hits me and just grazes me. You know, I don't know that we're that much different than those people who went in for that study. And maybe you don't consider yourself lucky or unlucky. Maybe you consider yourself optimistic or not so optimistic, a realist. Another study that uh, I recall on this topic was a lady by the name of Barb Friedman. She had gone into 60 companies, and for six months, she transcribed every meeting that they had. And then they went and they uh, studied those transcriptions of all the interaction and the conversations. And here's what they found out out of those 60 companies. That the high-performing companies, the companies that were the most successful, when they could go through that transcript, they found a ratio of three to one. Three positive comments or words of affirmation versus every negative comment. Well, they didn't stop there with those 60 companies. They went and, and they picked a bunch of lawyers. They did the same exact thing, and they found out that lawyers on average had a ratio of one to three. One positive comment to three 
negative comments in their conversations. Well, it's no surprise that lawyers have the highest levels of depression in business, highest levels of suicide, highest levels of divorce. Let's talk about marriage if we're going to talk about divorce, right? When marriages had the same standard applied, where they listened to husbands and wives talk back and forth, husbands and wives that had that same three-to-one ratio, three positive things to one negative, that that would turn a company into a high-performing company, in a marriage, three-to-one ratio resulted in divorce. It was in marriage, you needed a five-to-one ratio. And those marriages that had that five positive uh, building up each other conversations versus negative for each negative one, they were in a thriving marriage, healthy, vibrant. Well, let me ask you this. What's your ratio? Is it one to three like the lawyers? Is it three to one? And this goes with all of your relationships, whether you're married or you're single. Whether you, this is your brother or sister, your mom or your dad, co-worker. What's your ratio? How often do you find yourself having a positive words versus negative words? You know, probably more important than like the words that we speak, it's the thoughts that we think. A few years ago, I, Carrie and I were out at dinner with a, a mom. And uh, her daughter was uh, an adult now and started her own family. And I remember this mom making the statement that her daughter didn't think that she was a very good mom. I'm going to be honest with you. This mom struggled with depression. And, And she was probably borderline on close to depression right at that moment. And so I asked her this question. I said, how many times do you tell yourself that your daughter doesn't believe that you're a good mom? And then I added, a day. And so she kind of nodded, and she said a couple times. And I said, I think you mean to say a couple hundred times, maybe even a couple thousand times a day. This mom was telling herself that her daughter she's a bad mom now she had no evidence for this there were no conversations where the the daughter had said you're a horrible mom I hate being your daughter this was a conversation she was having her ratio wasn't very good you know I think the we're not too far from that we have these conversations and we think that because nobody hears it because we don't say it out loud that it's okay but I'm here to share with you that Your body doesn't know the difference about what you're thinking about and what you're experiencing. And so when you have that negative conversation all day long, it's hard for you to go to this place that the Bible says, and be thankful. So so what do we do about this? Well, here's what I would tell you. It's not enough to know what I just shared with you. It's not enough to know Colossians 3.15 that says, let the uh, peace of Christ rule in your heart. And be thankful. What you need is, you need an exercise. You need a skill to be able to build up those gratitude muscles. Matter of fact, let me just ask you this question. Who out there has been told that you need to be more optimistic? I've heard that before. 
And, and I think I'm an optimistic guy, but I've heard, you know what, Ronnie, you need to be more optimistic. Now, don't punch the person sitting beside you or don't raise their hand for them. I'm asking you, have you been told that you need to be more optimistic? Now, those of you that were on, I did this Wednesday night, I uh, asked the group, um, out of eight people, three raised their hand and said, I've been told I need to be more optimistic. And someone said, and the rest of us are lying. So I, I think that person was right. And so if, if, if you've never been told you need to be more optimistic, maybe just got to knock off the, the uh, cobwebs of your mind and remember some conversations where people said to you, you need to be more optimistic. But here's what I want to ask you. When someone comes up to you and says, you need to be more optimistic, does that help you become more optimistic? It didn't help me. Matter of fact, it made me angry. It made me want to throat punch them. I'll show you optimism. I got it right here. So the Bible tells us, be thankful. And what the Bible's sharing with us is what science has discovered is that when you're thankful, you become more optimistic. You develop optimism in your life. So I just want to share with you four things, four practical exercises or skills that you can um, implement today and start growing those muscles. Learn how to be thankful, as Colossians 3.15 says. The first one is this, to write a gratitude letter. Folks, this is not something that I've dreamed up. This is what the empirical evidence when scientific studies were done, how to be more grateful, how to develop gratitude, how to have optimism come out in your life. Write a gratitude letter. What is that? It's a letter or card to someone who has blessed you, who has um, just, just not too long ago, um, I put 40 cards into the mail. When I started... Um, developing this message and I, I came across this I was going to challenge you to do that I challenged myself and so I wrote 30, 40 different cards to people who um, have been a blessing uh, to me well uh, maybe you don't want to write a gratitude letter you don't want to go out and get a card and you don't want to take the time to put a stamp on it and an address and send it to them maybe you just want you're more of an internal person and so an exercise that you can do is develop a gratitude journal. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you that, um, oh, I think for 10 years, every year, one of my resolutions was that I was going to journal that year. And I could bring you 10 different journals and stack them this tall. But if I opened up every one of them, none of them got through January. Now, you're probably wondering, well, why did you buy another one next year? I thought that that was going to help me do better because it's a different color, it's a, uh, you know, a different type of um, paper, different pen that I would be using, but it didn't. What I found out was that um, I could use technology to be my friend. And there's an app out there called Day One, and really it, it uh, um, helps me journal. And so now for seven years I've been journaling, and I've been able to write down the blessings in my life. And so what a, a gratitude journal helps you to do is on a daily basis, to identify the blessings that you come across. Well, the third um, exercise that you could do is to uh, write a gratitude story. Now, you don't even have to share this with anybody. This could just be something that you write out and then go throw it into the fireplace. But I would encourage you to write, a, write down your story of thanks about what Jesus has done in your life. You know, the guy who hung on a cross pay for your sins 
The guy who lived a perfect life to pay for your sins. The guy who left heaven to come to this earth to be rejected by the very people that he was dying to save. Have you ever wrote out the words of thanks to, what, to Jesus himself? Maybe you could think of it this way. What would you say when you get to heaven and you meet Jesus the first time? Maybe you've never established a relationship with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you um, now or as soon as this is done to go to our website, tbccentralia.com slash next. And in there, the first step that we talk about in our relationship, everybody has a next step, no matter where you're at. If this is the first time that you've been exposed to online church, or maybe you're a 50-year veteran of church and church life. Every one of us, no matter where we're at on that spectrum, have a next step. But the first one and the most important step is to get in, to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you go to this website, what you'll find is, that it just walks you through these steps and it shows you what Jesus did for you through Scripture. And I hope that you will uh, uh, let the Holy Spirit speak to you through that and then establish and embrace a life with Christ. We'd love to hear back from you as well. Uh, we've got a book that we will send you um, to help you as you go into this new journey of your faith. Well, the last exercise that I want to share with you is this. It's called finding your blessings. Now, a lot of times we talk about it, especially in the church, count your blessings. There's a great hymn. Count your blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. That is great advice. I would encourage you to count your blessings. But I think that there's something that you can do that goes far beyond counting your blessings. Because one of the things that we found out is... um, You can't have a positive and negative thoughts at the same time. You can't have thoughts of thankful, of gratitude, and be angry or bitter at the same time. It's one or the other. Pick your poison. Now, you may bounce back and forth between these, but you can't can't focus on one and be be thankful. See, if you want the peace of Christ to rule in your heart, you got to be thankful. How do you do that? Well, I, I would do one of these exercises that would build that thankful muscle, that would build up Colossians 3.15 in my life. And finding your blessings is a skill that, I'm not going to do it here, this is a bit of a teaser for you, but tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on Facebook, I'm going to do a Facebook Live, and I'm going to teach through, uh, from good to great, taking any relationship to the next level. And in this case, I'm going to share with you seven core competencies that all great relationships have. If you're in a great relationship, most of these seven competencies are in your life. If you're struggling, if all of your relationships seem to be toxic, I want to encourage you, tune in uh, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. and learn some skills how to develop these core competencies, how to get these muscles stronger in you. It's possible, and every one of us can do this. And the beauty of this is, even if you can't make it at 7 o'clock, you've got to work or you've got an engagement that you're going to be tied up with, um, you can go back later and digest this. And I'll be putting out some other material, but uh, for the next few weeks on Monday night, I'm going to do a follow-up to each one of these messages in this series from good to great, taking any relationship to the next level. 
you may be wondering, how do I do this? How, how can, like, what carries me into tomorrow? When I think about tomorrow, I think about a sense of joy. I think of contentment. I think of optimism. How, how can I do that? Well, I'll just be honest with you. It's not because um, I believe that next week is going to be better than last week. It's not because um, I believe that tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. It's because I have gratitude in my heart. I've built up my gratitude muscles. I've learned to do what Colossians 3.15 says, and that is, and be thankful. I've shared with you many times that a God has brought challenges into my life, and I, I believe that the lesson he wanted me to learn was to learn to be thankful, even in the crisis, even when things were going wrong. And because I've learned to be thankful, even when all these things are happening, I choose to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, and I'm thankful for that. What am I thankful for? I'm thankful for an incredible wife. God has blessed me with Carrie. She is godly. She um, loves me <laughs> even when I'm at my worst. She loves our kids, our grandkids. One of the most perfect humans I've ever come across. I thank God for wonderful children. I'm so proud of my two sons, now young men, adults, both successful, both having started their families. Youngest son, just uh, uh, in a few uh, weeks, will be signing a contract on their first home. As a dad, that makes me proud. Uh, my other son and his wife, um, a year ago, they took a leap of faith, moved up here so that she could go to nursing school. Left a great job, left a home without the, any certainty that it was all going to work out. But it's amazing what God has done and how he has allowed them to thrive in this situation. I'm thankful for some precious grandsons. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see I'll post about Declan and Connor. I love it when I see them and they yell, Pops! And they run up and jump into my arms and then I hug them and I, and I squeeze them and I say, I'm trying to squeeze some love out of you. And then they squeeze a little tighter. I love it when they ask, will you sleep over tonight? Will you spend the night at our house? You know what else I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for a great extended family. You know, my dad was in the military, and so we moved. And every one of those times that we moved, we developed a, a core group of people in our lives. Marilyn was uh, probably at the age where I started really remembering life. And um, just this past, uh, last uh, Wednesday, uh, a great friend of our family, Mary Absher, passed away. The, the Absher family has been so good to us, and we mourn with them. And, and this is 40 years later that, that we're still close. Think about when I uh, went to, to, our family went to Germany. My dad was stationed over there. And the um, church family that we uh, it grew to love, and to this day, 40 years later, we're all still in contact with each other. In fact, there's a Facebook group with just the, the families that, that went to that church. It's amazing. It's fun. Well, then when we came back from Germany, we moved to the city of Clarksville, Tennessee, God's country. And there in Clarksville, so many people came into our lives through our church. One day I uh, ran from the Lord. I ran into the military, and then I started moving around. 
Went to Florida a couple times. Great friends there. Moved to Mississippi. Lived there for 10 years. Didn't think when we went to Mississippi that it was going to be all that great. One of the best places that we've ever lived. God was so rich to us in that time. And now here we are in Illinois. And not only do we have family, but we've got extended family. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for the rich lives and the legacy that my mom and dad have left, both of them now in heaven. Uh, but they set me, my brother, and my sister up for success. You know, they, and this was in a time when it wasn't easy. You know, when I grew up, we didn't go out to eat. Uh, we, we'd go to Pizza Hut and McDonald's maybe two to three times a year. Now, the normal family, average family in America probably does that two to three times in a week. But my parents, even when they didn't have a lot, they instilled this rich heritage of following Christ in my life. You know, I'm thankful for awesome friends. My life is filled with friends all over this country, all over this world. I'm thankful for my church family. Temple, I love you. I'm so glad that uh, God has called me here. thankful that he's allows me to work a job that I love but I got to tell you this I'm most thankful for Jesus Christ what he's done in my life I didn't deserve this I certainly didn't deserve to uh, be able to be a pastor and and proclaim the gospel but yet he forgave me and each time I fall he forgives me I'll close with this I challenge you to do one of two things. Number one is, if you've never entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ, go to our website, tbccentralia.com slash next. Read through that step of get in. It, this is too important for you not to do this. This is the most important decision you would ever make. I hope that you choose to embrace a life with Jesus. And the second thing is I challenge you is, uh, I'm going to close in prayer right now, but tomorrow night at 7 p.m., I hope that you find us on Facebook, and I hope that you listen um, as I take this short amount of information and I uh, open it up and unpack it and, and kind of explain a little more behind how this works and why it works. All right, will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, ask that you will bless all of those that have heard these words. Lord, I ask that you would help them to take Colossians 3.15 and to really let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. God, that they would give up their anxiety, that they would let their fear go, that they would allow those uh, bad and toxic relationships to be replaced with what you've told them, and that is to be thankful. Lord, I know it's hard. It's hard for me. I've, I've struggled with this many times in my life. And God, I thank you that you were patient and you allowed me to learn. And so now, today, even in the midst of crisis, God, I have the ability to be thankful. Lord, I ask that you would do that same work in the hearts of those that are watching, that are listening today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.